This podcast is produced by Unedited. Hello, people, and welcome to The Dreamer's Disease. My name is Alex Manzi, and on each episode, we'll hear the story of someone really inspirational who's creating their own path in life and really just drawing on their passions to drive them through because it's the disease of dreaming and not doing and taking action that really causes us to be unhappy in our lives. So on this week's episode, I'm joined by Paula Akpan, who is the co-founder of the amazing I'm Tired project on Instagram, and also the co-founder of the first Black Girl Fest, which was in London last year. And she's also the social media editor at Gelden Magazine. And she's got an incredible story and this amazing energy to want to serve people and make them feel appreciated and loved. And it comes across really well in all of her projects. So she's a very inspirational lady, And, you know, we talk a lot about how when she was at uni, she never felt clear what her career was going to be. To some extent, doesn't still. You know, she's just creating things that she enjoys. And she spoke about the exact moment she realized how proud she'd made her mum, which is a really, really just beautiful moment as she describes. And we talk about Black Panther and positive representation and influence that that's had, you know, since it's come out and the energy around it. So before we jump in, I'd like to thank you for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find the podcast on iTunes. It's also now available on Spotify, which is amazing. It's on SoundCloud and most other podcast apps. You just need to search Dreamers Disease or Alex Manzi and it will pop up and you'll find it there. And while you're there, be sure to leave a review because it's an amazing way for me to see what you guys think about the podcast, what you like, what you don't like, what guests you might like to see. And it's a good way to to connect. And be sure to take screenshots of where you're listening. Tag me at I am Alex Manzi or post it up to your Instagram story. Tag at the underscore dreamers disease so I can connect with you guys there and, you know, have conversations which I really enjoy. So without any further ado... Let's jump straight in and hear Paula's story. So to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am one of the founding directors of Black Girl Festival. Um, I'm the co-founder of the I'm Tired Project, which is a social media, artsy kind of photography campaign. And then I'm also the social media editor for Gaudem. So I do bettings, basically. Bear things. Bear things. Bear inspirational things. Oh my God, thank you. Um, which is funny because we actually first connected um, but before Christmas, the end of 2017, yeah, I think it, it was. was November? At the, yeah, Enemy Life Hacks event where they put together a panel of um, youth activists or le- leading youth activists. Leading youth they called activists it. and campaigners. And I it, was gassed. Oh my God. So was I. And I was, <laughs> I was just hosting. I wasn't even like there to like tell about what I do. I was just hosting, which You're was incredible. You're hosting for a reason, Alex. Of course, hopefully. Come on, gas um, up yourself. So yeah, it's like, and that's the first time I'd actually really come across your work in terms of Black Girl Fest. I mean, obviously, because I'm not target market. So <laughs> I probably, you're not a black woman. <laughs> I probably hadn't really heard wild. of that. <laughs> um, and also the I'm Tired Project, um, which is crazy. But I guess like a lot of your influence, I'm guessing, has come through your upbringing. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing at home and when you were a kid and, you know, maybe a bit about your school life or whatever? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was raised in Enfield, born and raised. Uh, North, North London's Mid. finest. Pew, pew. Um, but, you know, that's been stress in itself because everyone's like, so you mean Hertfordshire? And I'm like, no, yeah, we're the North Miss Borough of London, okay? Don't take that away from me. Um, so, yeah, and in a quiet, like... 
white area, went to quite a white school. So there were 180 students in our year mm. and 20 of us were black. And wow. even so, um, all the teachers managed to mix up our names. I would get called like Naomi or like Rihanna and stuff like that. And mm. I was just like, come on, man, there's 20 of us. I wear glasses, we have completely different faces. Um, so those were kind of my first experiences of realizing that people don't necessarily, a lot of people don't care um, to even bother differentiating between mm. you. Same thing with like a lot of my friends of color as well. Yeah. It'd be like, can I just shorten your name to something mm. like more manageable? And why, why do you think that is? Um, Cause you're not used to it. And I guess, cause your tongue isn't used to articulating particular names or words and it's not in your vocabulary. So then it's like, I just, I don't feel the need to learn to get used to it. Mm. Or um, I don't know, because it doesn't, you don't deem something to be worth getting to learn. So like you can learn the names of like Tchaikovsky and things like that. Um, but you won't try and let like learn like a brown kid's name or something mm. like that. Um, so I guess those are like my first few kind of experiences with, I guess, microaggressions and I don't know, just the small, it's the small instances of, okay, this is your place in the world. Um, so yeah, so that was school and that was secondary school. Um, and then I went to uni of Nottingham, um, mm. again, so white, um, it's like, the University of Home Counties. Yeah, okay. um, and yeah, it was just, it was further than I've gone. Like I've, I was in London basically mm. my whole childhood and then just going up to Nottingham because why not? And yeah, again, it was a real awakening I think for me because I studied sociology and it was realizing that the course was built off white old dead men yeah. and who all kind of even though the study of sociology is meant to be rethinking social structures and examining different social groups there was still a lot of them had because they were so old and still had their own like racial biases yeah they would describe black people as like barbarians or like uncivilized oh, and things wow. like that yeah so you're Jeez. meant to be learning theory from these people mm -hmm. but they are still human and flawed and biased. Yeah. And the way that the courses would be set up, you'd have one week on, you know, feminism, one week on racism within that particular module. You can't, it's difficult to section off things in yeah. that particular way. And when you're not learning about the black sociologists or black women sociologists or any other kind of sociologists of color, apart from race week, when yeah. they've had so much to contribute in, other areas it's quite tricky so you end up doing a lot of the work yourself or having to read around it for yourself because you're not learning it from mm. your course so i feel like i learned a lot from it but i had to it was that that kind of like pushed me out to try and find out more you obviously quite actively wanted to go and learn i'm guessing because you had an interest in culture and particularly black culture and stuff mm -hmm. So you went to uni to try and, you know, experience this through your learnings and didn't quite feel satisfied by that. Am yeah, I correct? I, I was satisfied in the way that it was forcing me to think bigger and beyond myself. Mm. But 
like anything, there's always room for improvement, like it, the work isn't done. Yeah. So it was, okay, let's try and plug these gaps. I was trying to find like more black women or like more groups in Nottingham that I could, I guess, become part of and understand a bit more about myself, yeah. what feminism means for me um, and I guess build on that. Mm. Um, so at uni is when I, fully kind of discovered feminism and I was like yeah oh my god feminist and then it's when certain feminisms don't include you then you're like oh, okay so then again it's that kind of yeah. process of having to go beyond yourself and try and figure out okay what is for me what does include me as well yeah and what would your definition of feminism be then I would define it as the re I have like such a good definition in my head and I can't walk back articulate it properly. Um, I think it was just like the, the rejuggling, the reshifting of opportunity and um, just chances between the genders, but also within certain pockets, certain nuanced pockets that, you know, include, you know, race and sexuality and, you know, disability and making sure that those different nuanced identities and marginalized groups are considered throughout yeah or even just seen as equals because i guess at at the core of it we're all the same right we've all got a, a beaten mm -hmm. pulse and and you know bodies that act in you know in the same kind of way in, yeah in, in the terms of the way we're structured so like just because someone looks a different way or someone might have a certain disability or whatever doesn't yeah. mean that they're less of a person to be considered that like, so I always just thought, and more so now that being a feminist is just believing in equality, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, where you grew up and the rest of it, you know? Mm. Um, and I find it really interesting. And it's, it's also very exciting to see these conversations happening more often now, particularly mm. on, you know, mainstream broadcasting, you know, platforms, TV and radio and, and the rest of it. So let's go back to uni again. So yeah. went to uni. And at this point, did you know where you wanted to take your life or what you wanted to do or the rest of it? Or were you kind of like sociology and see what happens? Well, the thing with sociology is that no one sets you up on a path. Mm. So everyone's like, oh, you're going to become a social worker. And you're like, no, because that's a different course completely. Um, so especially with my parents as well, they wanted me to be a lawyer. And at one point I thought I could be a lawyer, but then no. Um, so they were like, but what job are you going to do? And then I guess that was something I was constantly thinking about whilst doing my course. Cause I was like, I don't actually know where I go from here. Um, especially because sociology is a degree of bullshit, like in the most lovable way, it was a fantastic, like really interesting course, but it's also the way that you can position your arguments using evidence and things like that. It's incredibly mind opening and, you know, you explore different ways of you know, creating arguments. Um, but, you know, I was just like, I don't really know what I'm gonna do with this. But then because I picked up a lot of skills mm. um, through doing it, I now work in comms as well, alongside the different roles and projects that I work on. My nine to five job is um, working in comms at charity. So I guess <laughs> transferable skills, but at the time I had not got a clue. Yeah. And do you have a clearer picture now? 
no. Um, I think I'm just kind of taking things as they come and also working on the different projects I'm doing. And I'd really, I think my pipe dream is to, so with the Black Girl Festa, we launched it last year and then to just make that a full-time venture and be doing it every single year, which is, yeah, I guess that's the long-term plan at some point. Um, but I guess it's just keeping things moving at the minute. Yeah, that's good. I think it's good to explore or definitely try different things and try and have that one focus maybe. But mm -hmm. whilst you do other things, you might stumble across something else that you, I mean, exactly. that's certainly how I find myself here right now. So I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing to not know your exact pathway, yeah. but know the direction and yeah, then definitely. work your way towards that, that, that destination kind of thing. Um, Right, so Black Girl Fest, seeing as you've just mentioned it, I was going to come to that later. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. Um, can you, where did, where did the idea come from? Because it's, I mean, it's something that's seemingly so simple when you actually think about what it is and what it celebrates. But the fact that nothing has kind of, and I might be answering your question here, <laughs> uh, answering <laughs> my own question rather. You are a black woman, we've established. <laughs> exactly. Um, considering nothing like that has ever kind of existed before in a kind of, really um obvious way i guess yeah um what was the you know inspiration behind it where did the idea span from for you i feel like i've always kind of wanted to do something for black women and black girls at some point just because we are the most underrepresented group constantly seen at like the bottom of the heap and often lost in conversations about the black community there seems like often there's a lot of focus on black men and sons black sons and things like that but then it's like what about the black women who mm. are at the kind of they receive the intersection of racism and misogyny which you know shapes literally your whole life mm. so um I always wanted to kind of do something, but wasn't sure what. And then I was talking to my friend, Nicole, who's also, so we're both the founders and um, I guess directors of it. And um, she had just gone to see Chimamanda speak mm. at Wowfest. And so there was just like a hub of like black yeah. women. It was filled, and it was packed. Wowfest, Women of the World. Women of the World right? at South Bank yeah. Centre. Um, and there was, we were talking on the phone afterwards and she was just describing how there was like this palpable feeling and how like the excitement, especially because there were so many black women together and like mothers and daughters. And, you know, she was like, I just really wish we could like, I want to recreate something like that. And then I was like, well, do you want to like put on a festival then, bruv? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, she was like, oh my gosh, yeah, like, she'd also been thinking along similar lines so then we had like one phone call for like it was like two or three hours long and we were using google sheets and we just planned out like a three-day program yeah. putting wow. on like just putting in things that we would have loved to see when you know we were younger what kind of workshops what kind of panels um who would we have loved to have, like have seen in like a marketplace or like a food market um so we planned it out and then we kind of like left it for a bit. We were just like, this is this is great. And then life happens. Mm. Um, and then a few months later, so Cachette, I don't know if you know, it's like a venue that's like around yeah. Shoreditch, yeah. yeah. Um, so they got in touch with Nicole because they'd wanted to 
host or like work with her and doing um, an event for something else that she was working on. Um, and it was meant to be like a small exhibition. Yeah. And then she was like, hmm, how about a festival? <laughs> Actually, yeah, a bigger idea. <laughs> I see that exhibition and raise you a festival. <laughs> and um, they were like, sure. So then we're like, shit. Okay, so we've got a venue. We've got the ideas. Like, let's just, I guess we're just going to do it. Yeah. And this was at the beginning of September. And we we're like, okay, so Black Girl Festival, we'd like decide on the name and everything. But then we're like, you know, it's Black History Month next month. Oh, yeah, like, we should probably try and do it for then. So we're like, okay, come, come, come. So we've given ourselves seven weeks to pull together a festival. Wow. And, and have, you, ha have you had any previous events experience before then? No. Okay, I feel, I feel your pain already. Okay. <laughs> so like, I've been involved with like planning of small events, but like not organizing a yeah, festival yeah. and it would be things like oh yeah we need to like sort out like lighting and like security we should get like someone to do that but you are the someone yeah. so it was realizing like oh fuck we actually have to do everything yeah, yeah. um so we set up a crowdfunder and um in the first couple of days it actually it did like really well to the point mm. where the managing director of crowdfunder got in touch with us. Oh really? Was, wow. It was wild. I was like, yeah, do you want to like have a sit down and like chat? And we were like, yes. So, um, and then he brought like all of his partners and they were just giving us tips for like how to make our crowdfunder even more successful and like little things like that, which was great. And it was kind of like motivating. Mm. Um, and so our target was 6,000 cause we initially thought that's how much everything would cost. <laughs> we were wrong um and the support and the love that we were getting on social media and like just from like it was it was wild and then we had to do that thing where we were just googling like has anyone done a black girl festival or yeah, anything yeah. like this before and nothing literally nothing the closest thing is essence fest which takes place in new orleans yeah. and we were like well shit okay cool so we were just like UK's first festival celebrating black women and girls. And we just putting that out there. Um, so there was a lot of excitement and yeah, we reached our target and then surpassed it some. And we were like, oh my God, yay. Um, and then we started putting tickets up for the festival and then also all the workshops and the panels and things like that. And they all went like immediately. Mm. Um, and this festival was free as well because, so we crowdfunded in order to just pay everyone yeah, that we wanted to involve, um, pay like the venue as well and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so that happened and on the day, so it was in, at the end of October, cause we tried to give ourselves like as much time as possible, yeah. but it was still in October. And we like the day saw a footfall of 4,000 people. Wow. And it, Cachette has a capacity of about 300. Mm. So people were like queuing outside for two hours, which we felt so bad about cause it was October in this cold, cold Britain. I mean, it is under a bridge though. So even <gasps> yeah, if it was raining, yeah, it would have been all right. Yes, I guess, but <laughs> it was so cold. Um, so we were like, literally like when people came up to us and be like, oh my God, I've been queuing and be like, we're so sorry. Um, but then we're like, no, it's fine because people were like chatting to each other yeah. oh, in nice. like the queue and like from, so like from videos, I've just, I've never seen so many black women just like, just people were like staring and being like, what's going on? Um, and there was, again, it was just such a vibe and it was so intergenerational. Like you had like 
older women bringing their daughters or like granddaughters and things. It was just, it was really, really beautiful to mm. see. And we got to work with a lot of people that we admire as well. So like, do you know, like Kelechi Okafor yeah, yeah. and Lady Phil from yeah. UK Black Pride, like just so many people that we love were in this one space yeah, and yeah. were speaking on panels or like leading workshops um, and the in, like the vibe in the marketplace. So it was like just filled with uh, businesses owned by black women. Mm. And so we had like books that featured black girls in them and, you know, jewelry and art. And yeah, it was just really, really incredible. And it was wild that we had organized this. It went from an idea on Google Sheets document to an actual festival. Yeah. And pretty quickly as well, like really less than quickly. two months. It's pretty... Like the stress and anxiety was a lot, yeah. but um, it was it was worth it, even though obviously I don't advocate for that. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna do it again this year. Nice in October again. It's always gonna be in the last week of October. And this time it's gonna be two days and we've got a lot more time to plan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, that's the story, I guess. That's wicked. And and so how, okay, so aside from it being your idea and seeing it come to fruition, how did you feel on the day? Like what, what did you experience on the day in terms of from an event's point of view? Stress. Bear stress. <laughs> um, we, so thankfully, because we surpassed our target, we were able to pay a team of, so a lot of people got in touch with us during the crowdfunding and were like, I just want to volunteer. Mm. Like, I don't care what I'm doing. I just want to be involved. And we don't ever want black women to do free labor. So we're like, we're going to pay you like that's just what's going to happen so we had a team of volunteers we had an event manager called margaret who was mm. a godsend um and yeah so we were just like running around just making sure everyone was good everything was calm also because it's under a bridge like signals a bit iffy yeah. the fuse blew at one point so music was down for like half an hour and i was just there like I haven't eaten in like six hours. Um, <laughs> but it was beyond that on like an organizational level. Um, just seeing so many people, so many black women, like a lot of people kept saying to me, I've never seen this many black women in mm. one space before. And seeing like little black girls, you know, when like, okay, did you ever go to like a car boot sale or something where maybe not specifically a car boot sale, yeah. but you're buying, you want to buy something and you're young and your mom gives you money and then you go up yeah, and yeah, you hand yeah. over the money. So it was seeing little black girls do that over oh, like no. black dolls that look like them yeah. or like over books or just like little trinkets or rings or jewelry or things like that. Um, and then also older women were coming up to us and being like, I've never seen anything like this. Like in, you know, however long I've been going to events like this, I've never seen anything like this, which was incredible. And then sat in on like snippets of like panels and talks. Yeah. And it was just like the rawness of the conversation because you're surrounded by people who look like you or who can relate to your experience. So then you feel like you can be more open and just honest. And yeah, it was just really, really, oh, it, surpassed like my wildest expectations yeah. honestly could not have believed that so many people would come through and yeah it was overwhelming um it was on a sunday so i took the next day off work mm. and thank god i did because i spent the day crying because i was just like 
one like adrenaline and everything yeah um but also just like getting messages from people seeing videos and clips and just kind of reliving everything it was yeah it was it was a lot and it's definitely like one of the best things i've ever done yeah can i can only imagine like seeing all of that come you know to fruition and getting all those messages like the the feeling of i don't know like content and fulfillment as well knowing that you've kind of created this experience for so many people must have just been overwhelming it was wild and i think one of the best moments for me as well was um so we put like our family members just on a special list so that they could just come through a bit quicker and my brother was like so i was with mum and she saw the queue and she sashayed to the front to the security (laughs) it was just like um this is my daughter's festival (laughs) and then waltzed in and i was just like she she gave it the do you know who i am (laughs) get to know um and it was also i guess seeing her and the way that seeing watching her walk around and know that she was really proud of me and what her daughter had achieved Mm. um, was just a really wonderful feeling, especially because she's not that forthgiving or like forthcoming with her, like, I think there is like specifically black families, even when you're proud, you don't always feel the need to like verbalize that. Um, You're just meant to know, but obviously sometimes it's just nice to like feel that reaffirmation. Um, And yeah, her telling me that she was proud and then just, she was like, gassing about it for like days, well not days, weeks afterwards to her friends. And yeah, I think it was just knowing that, you know, my mom had seen what I'd done and like, yeah. 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 Well, do you know what? I can, I guess I can kind of relate in a way, not in the sense of something that I've made and created, mm. but I mean, even all of us in the room, we're all from some kind of immigrant, you know, upbringing in terms of being raised in the UK. You know, I'm Italian, mixed Italian, Nish, what's your background? Uh, Dad's from East Africa, um, but family's from India. Oh, so a good mix, really good mix. So, (laughs) you know, all from immigrant families. And for me, growing up as an Italian in North London, shout out North London, um, (laughs) we used to have like an Italian athletics. Mm. And every two years, like the Italian community from all over London would come together and have like a a mini Olympics. We, We used to call it the Italian Olympics. And... That was just really powerful just to see all of these kids of all different backgrounds in terms of their upbringing in London, but all from an Italian, mm. you know, base coming together in London to have like what was essentially a bit of a, a run around on a, on a track and doing some long jump and high jump. And just that sense of like everyone feeling included. Mm. No one was like a superstar. Everyone was, you know, it was a real nice kind of atmosphere for, for the, the weekend that would happen on. And it kind of, I kind of feel like there's some, a lot of similarities in a way in terms of black girl. I mean, it's obviously completely different, but the similarities are quite, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, it's kind of for us, by us, community yeah. feeling. Yeah, and not done in a way of like us against the world, done in a way of like, let's celebrate, let's celebrate us ourselves. in a way. Yeah, and it's like, I guess it's knowing who has made it as well. So it would have been different if it was like a white company yeah. had decided to throw yeah. a black girl fest, knowing that it's two black girls who just wanted to, big up ourselves kind yeah. of thing um i guess contributed to why we got the support yeah. why we have the support that we have yeah. so yeah amazing and is there anything from the day or 
something that someone said to you in particular that really stands out in your mind? Um, there are a couple things. There was one, so one girl wrote um, an article for Galdem afterwards, like kind of reviewed it and said that as soon as she walked in, she felt like she was floating um because it was just it was so surreal for her and then on the day as well an auntie um said to me like as soon as I walked I was I've just been I've been smiling ever since I walked in like I'm look at me I'm beaming and I was just like stop it um and yeah and then I started crying <laughs> but it was I think especially from aunties because they're so hard to please so easy like quick to pick you up on stuff mm -hmm. so whenever you get like that kind of you did good kind of thing then it it hits really hard um and there was a pair of teachers so they've been in education for like 20 years each and they went to see our black girls in education panel mm. and they came out afterwards and found me and nicole and they were like i have been going to these conferences and these events and these summits for my entire education yeah. career I've never seen anything like that like just to be in that room just to bear witness to that conversation I've not I just it's indescribable and I was just like I don't I don't even know what to say it was yeah it was just it was specifically I think for me hearing words from older black women who have seen things and who you know have raised children who have done all kinds of things who have faced all kinds of like prejudice and for them to have never and it's also kind of sad in a way to have never experienced something like yeah. this and for like the first festival for black women and girls to have, have been done in 2017 um so yeah i guess that kind of feedback really has just stuck with me yeah so this year, yes. bigger and better? Yeah, man, of course. How, other than it being an extra day? <sighs> um, capacity. Yeah. Definitely. Um, that was a big thing for us last time. So we want more people to be able to come through and experience what it's like to be surrounded by so many incredible black women. Um, we're also going to be looking to branch out uh, what kind of topics we focus on. Um, so like last year was a lot about celebrating different black women and, you know, just loving ourselves. This year is more around what can we do to grow our community? What kind of ways can we develop our skills? Mm. Um, and how can we ensure that we're investing in ourselves and in each other? Um, so just thinking more around different skill sets, how do you get into different industries and like, what can we help facilitate young black girls, but also older women who you yeah. know, maybe moving careers or just have no idea how to, I don't know, do STEM or, you know, DJ or things like that. Like thinking about, okay, how can we, what can we do to facilitate your yeah. growth? Nice. And do you know what I really love about it is the fact that you've created an experience that has a real kind of feel good atmosphere and vibe to it. Mm -hmm. And I feel that's massively important. And also looking at, you know, the I'm Tired project, that kind of creates a feeling, but in a different world, right? Because yeah. it's more a world of acceptance. I feel like it's done as probably the right word or not. Mm -hmm. But yeah, anyway, so it's like a, a real feeling of acceptance, which is really powerful. And again, like, 
with the project, like you said, it's quite an arts-based project, but mm-hmm. where did that come from and where did the inspiration for that come about as well? Um, so I started that with my friend Harriet while we were both studying at Nottingham. And it was meant to be a small summer project, um, just bridging the gap between finishing our dissertations and then having to be real adults. Um, So I guess in our conversations with each other, we found ourselves discussing like just feelings of frustration quite often. And I think this was kind of in the summer of a lot, a lot, a lot of um, killings of black people at the hands of police. So it was just, it was really like a draining time for me. I was just, I found myself kind of with every news cycle, I was just like, I just, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm frustrated, I'm done. Um, So we realized that the word tired kept cropping up a lot um, because I think more than anything, especially when you're from a marginalized group, you, there is anger sometimes, there is frustration, there is like upset, but a lot of it, it tends to boil down to just, I'm, I'm just tired. Mm. So we started kind of bouncing ideas off one another and we just, okay, let's just start a project. This is how all of my things start. Yeah, yeah. Just bounce ideas. I'm like, oh my God, okay, let's go with it. Um, so we decided that we wanted to do something via social media that could grab people's attention um, which is why we decided to take pictures and use like photography, um, but also relate to that particular person's experience. Yeah. So we invited loads of our friends around, um, coaxed them with Harry Bows and like just free food and asked them each to come up with a statement that begins with I'm tired to do with anything that they have experienced in terms of microaggressions or stereotyping or just any kind of discrimination really that could be gender, race, um, disability, um, any kind of intersection like to do with like appearance, things like that. Um, And yeah, just to come, let us write it on their backs and take a picture. And you know, a lot of people volunteered like quite early on I was like wow you like okay you're a real one mm-hmm. um because we would literally just like strip and we're gonna write on you mm. and put it on the internet um and yeah so we were taking these pictures and then each person writes an essay which talks about why they chose that particular sentence that statement yeah. and then links it into wider society um and then just started posting them on Facebook so for example one of my friends, he is a tall, broad, large black man. Um, and he's one of the nicest people I've ever fucking met in my life. Um, and he chose, I'm tired of being perceived as aggressive. Mm. And in his essay, he wrote about how the way the world perceives him informs the way that he moves through it and how he doesn't wear like hoods and things over his head or when he's walking around at night um he's very conscious of who he's walking around and if he's walking near like a white woman at night and he's by himself or something and it's quite late then he's very aware of i don't want her to feel uncomfortable so sometimes he'll just go out of his way to like cross the road Mm. or you know just change his route so because he's constantly thinking about you know they're going to see this really tall large black man at night and assume xyz 
Um, and then he related it to how black men are perceived in media, film, books, um, often as gangbangers, thugs, you know, rapists, gangsters, and people would be there like, I'm not racist, I'm not racist. But these things trickle through into like your subconscious and, you know, mm. when you are clutching your bag close to yourself or when you're worried about a particular person sitting next to you, you might not think that you know i'm i love everyone but there are certain it still affects the way that you treat people yeah. or you see people because you're so used to seeing this particular person in this category so it's stories like that um and yeah we started in 2015 and it's still going um and yeah it's, we just it's a long been, summer that a long <laughs> summer and yeah we've just been sharing these different stories um and it started off in my kitchen in my student house. Mm. And then from that, we've been able to travel to New York and Nairobi um, and carry out workshops at universities, but also in schools, um, which I think is really important because you're giving and equipping people or young people with the vocabulary and saying, you know, if you're frustrated by someone asking you where you're really from mm. or, you know, just touching your hair and putting their hands in your hair, that's okay. And here's the word for it. Here's the providing that framework and, you know, you don't have to use it, but at least you know that it's okay to be frustrated or to know that like, this isn't right. I don't want you to do that. You're, yeah. you know, invading my space and things like that. So, yeah. Sick. It's amazing because, you know, when well, after I discovered the, the page on Instagram, I went through and there were so many. And I mean, so many of them are so relatable as well, mm -hmm. for you, as you can see, for a lot of people, because everyone's kind of experiencing similar things. Right. But I think the thing that makes it so powerful is that they're all faceless. Mm. And was that well, it was obviously a conscious decision to write on people's backs. But why? why on someone's back why not on like their chest and then cut their head off or on their hand and whatever and um i think because there's that level of anonymity and therefore you feel able or more comfortable being completely honest and raw um it's also practical because it's the biggest canvas to play with um and i guess in a way symbolic because a lot of people carry these things around with them every day so i guess that in itself is quite powerful as well and um yeah we just wanted a picture that would go with these incredible essays these incredibly personal essays which are written completely by the people yeah. in the pictures um we just edit them to make sure that everyone's happy with them and we'll be like, okay, can you give us an anecdote when this thing happened to you? Or like, why do you think that happened? Um, but we were kind of inspired by Humans of New York in the way mm. that they have a picture and then some text and you're kind of hooked a bit by the picture of that person and then read on to find out a bit more about them. Mm. So we wanted to create or like emulate something similar where we could hook someone's attention with, you know, a lot of the stunning photography um, and then get them to read this person's experiences. Yeah. Well. And also I can admit, cause a lot of them are quite hard hitting as well. And mm. um, I saw one that really stuck out, which was I'm tired of pretending that I'm over my miscarriage or something along the, yeah. you know, it's a very like tough read, but then you straight away go, wow. Like you don't, it sinks in. Like you really don't know what people are going through, but obviously there's a lot of subject matters covered on mm -hmm. the page and I can imagine there's a lot of people who respond negatively to that in mm -hmm. the comments and 
and the rest of it. So how do you guys go about dealing with that, particularly with like the person in mind whose whose experience it is that's written yeah. on the page? I think it's tricky because we try to shield that person mm. as much as possible um because you've done this really you've been really vulnerable not only taking your picture which I did want and I was like oh my god I can't believe we've been making people do this for ages um but also you've kind of opened yourself up and been really honest about your experiences so some of the pictures have gone moderately viral Mm. um and there was one that was around I'm tired of people making assumptions about what I eat because of my size and you know she has thyroids and it's kind of affected her appearance and people but people see that she is a bigger woman and then it's because you eat too much or blah blah um so that one got like shared quite widely and I think it's it's tricky because there you have people have opinions and that is fine as long as you're not infringing on someone else's sense of self or well-being or insulting the person or insulting other people so i think it is kind of a difficult line to police but we do kind of allow for people to have debates in in comments and things like that if they so wish because i guess when we started off we were the ones that always like oh my god um but then as it's grown we just don't have the time or the yeah. energy to do that. But a lot of people get involved anyway and will just be like, actually, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really, really tricky. And some wild things have happened as well. So um, one person, one girl, she did... So she's in an interracial relationship and she did, I'm tired of um, people asking me if my boyfriend's dick has ruined my vagina because oh, wow. he's a black man. Yeah. Um, and she kind of wrote about what it's like when you're approached by people and they think that they can speak to you about your relationship because, you know, oh my God, what's he like in bed? Like, is this blah, blah. Um, and she was kind of like, I will never know what that experience is like for him. But just getting these little kind of tidbits that I get so she's a mixed race um South Asian girl um so she has her own experiences with um race as well but she she's like I from the little bits that I receive just from being in the relationship with him like I just couldn't I can't believe what that's like for him Mm. um and we put that up went to bed and at some point in the night it was shared in some sort of neo-nazi American group and I woke up to just oh, loads of horrific comments. Um, there was one that was like, are you sure you're not tired because of the hepatitis that he's probably given you and things like that. And it was obviously as a black person, I was like, this is just jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the good things about me being black and Harriet, my co-founder being white, because I was like, I can't deal with this. I can't mm-hmm. handle it. Like these people are actually attacking my personhood or kind of using stereotypes around black people to like it's just i can't even read these comments without feeling affected and Um, how do they affect you personally like what's the kind of emotions and feelings that you experience when you see stuff like that i think it's knowing like in some part of your head that like these people are trolling you or like doing it to get a reaction 
Um, so it's kind of knowing that, but at the same time, they're not abstract, like, um, concepts. Like, these are pe things that people genuinely think about or feel about black people. Mm. So it's kind of knowing that, yes, this person's trying to get a rise out of someone or like out of the people behind the project or the people in the picture, but also knowing that it's, you know, it's not a outlandish thing for people to like people say these things yeah. and people genuinely hold these opinions so i guess it's just a reminder that there are people in the world who think that you're less than simply literally because of your skin color yeah which is always kind of you know that you're black and you walk through the world like i know i'm black but then it's like when someone pulls you back and they think like they remind you that they deem your worth yeah as, as literally less than yeah what they are or other people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned a really good point earlier about the way black people are kind of perceived in on TV and the mm -hmm. rest of it. So what's it like seeing a film like Black Panther come out oh God, and be even. like so successful? Don't like how even. important and powerful or not is that to you? Okay. So firstly, we're kind of forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> that for me was just really, it blew my mind because you've got these dark skinned black people, dark skinned black women, which we very, very rarely see on screen. Normally whenever we're talking about black women in Hollywood, they are of lighter skinned or um, with straight ha straighter hair or like more manageable textures. Um, so these dark skinned black women with natural hair or no hair, just like on screen, having, not being the kind of side story, mm. um, not be getting killed off at the first instance, not being, you know, the friend of the white kind of hero, mm. having their own complete narratives and then kind of completely reframing Africa in a way that it's rich, it's hiding its wealth from the rest of the world. And it was just a trip. Um, and also through Galdem. So as social media editor, um, we had the opportunity to actually interview um, Lapita and Denai. Um, so we went, we went along to the premiere, which was like just a little bit wild. Yeah. Um, but then we were like, new premiere so then got absolutely wasted um and then the next day interviewed um the two stars and it was kind of like having these conversations with them and they were so like we're just asking them like how what is what do you think the importance of this film is and things like that and having just incredible like them just imparting a lot of wisdom as well um i just it's wild like when people cater to black people like we have so much cultural capital mm. and it's just a matter of tapping into that like look at how people have supported Fenty Beauty yeah. it's like when you cater to this demographic we have money we just constantly ignored and now other brands are like oh my god have yeah. you seen how dark this foundation is yeah. um so yeah and then it's not just you know Black Panther it's also Moonlight, mm. Fences, Hidden Figures, all of these films that are creating fresh and like just refreshing narratives around black people. Girls Trip as well, which I think is like absolutely revolutionary because 
it's a shitty kind of summer blockbuster film, just a smash hit, not about oppression, not about Jim Crow, not about slavery. It's just four, like four black women, mm. which in itself is like four black women in a film as like the main characters. Um, but four black women getting trashed, being trash, being vulgar, having sex, like being crude. And that's it. Mm. That like just witnessing these kind of films that are just spurning out different narratives rather than, you know, all druggies and all like, oh my gosh, the help and like yeah. blah, blah. Growing up in the hood and- uh, uh, yeah. It's so boring. Yeah. It's so boring. And like, you know, spoiler, black people have a lot more to offer and much more interesting stories than that. So um, yeah, it's been, it's a really interesting period yeah. that we're in right now, specifically with like film and Hollywood. And yeah, I'm excited to see yeah. what else is next. Yeah, me too. Cause I kind of feel like, well, not that I feel it, it's, it happens is a lot of black culture gets reappropriated and used in the mainstream from, you know, everything from the fashion to the music to the, you know, whatever. And I think now, particularly, you know, of all the films you mentioned and other stuff that's happened is we're kind of seeing a point where we're taking it back to actually this is where it all has originated from mm. and celebrate and almost yeah, re-celebrating it and going, actually, this is incredible stuff that we've almost taken away from, mm -hmm. you know, certain races or cultures or whatever. And it's like putting the, the spotlight back on on those cultures and going, let's celebrate this now now's yeah. the t now's the time we've we've kind of fucked up all these years let's like we need to bring these moments to light and i think for me black panther was incredible for the from the cultural kind of references and everything like you said like the you know storyline aside like mm -hmm. that was kind of re regardless of everything it could have been any kind it could of line. exactly don't care Would've exactly seen it five more times <laughs> just seeing like you know there's the scene with um Daniel Kalula, where he's like got his, you know, his robe on and he's got, he's got the rhino, I think it is there. And it's just a real like gone back to Africa kind of scene, mm -hmm. but it's a real like moment when you've got this king and this, you know, king, I don't know if you'd call him the king of his tribe or whatever. And they're mm -hmm. having this really powerful conversation. And it's like, this is the kind of stuff we want to see, not yeah. growing up in the hood and the struggle and, da -da 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 and the same old narratives, which is really cool. Um, but as you mentioned a couple of times, you also do work for Gelden magazine, mm -hmm. um, which is sick. Saw my first ever <laughs> full live copy downstairs, which is- And I'm still mad about it. It's almost like I planned that as well. It's true, it's true. Which I didn't, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Take credit. But again, I'm not target audience. I'm gonna blame it on that. Um, but yeah, so can you tell us a bit about the, the magazine and you know the work they do, what it represents um, and why and how you got involved? Yeah, um, so Gaudem was started by our founder and editor-in-chief, Liv Little, in 2015. And she started, so it's completely run by women of colour and non-binary people of colour. And she started it because she just, similarly to me, it was like very, everything was really white. And it's particularly journalism as well. Um, so it's like, we, she wanted to like create a space where the voices of these marginalized groups can be platformed. And also whenever you get commissioned as a black writer, as like a writer of color, it's always like, can you write about this thing on race? And it's like, no, 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 but what if I want to write about something like 
shitty. Like, what if uh, I want to talk about avocado, like Toby from Black Ballad yeah. talked about? Like, what if I want to kind of just talk about something a bit mundane? Um, but it's like you're always pigeonholed into speaking about race, which is important. But again, that is my race is not me. Like, it is one of the many identities that I hold, but I have a lot of opinions mm. on different things. Um, so it was essentially creating a platform where you can write about those different opinions, those different topics that matter to you. And yeah, if you want to talk about race, go fuck for it. But also know that you can talk about dating mm. and, you know, I mean, everything always intersects in the end, um, but bringing that in naturally if you want to, rather mm. than being forced to write about particular things. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, two and a half years now down the line and you know we've got a core team of about 18 of us wow. and then over 100 contributors from around the world and just putting things out about opinion and like lifestyle and music and politics and yeah we do a lot of like talks panels workshops things like that um and i guess it's just creating a new publication like that actually is run by the people that we're trying to appeal to hmm. which i think is really I, I mean the way you've put that it makes it sound so simple again hmm. and to think that again something like that hasn't existed which is crazy and you're right a lot of the time when you do see a journalist of you know color or whatever it's always, they always have to write about the, their experience in this or yeah. that and it's like actually i'm a normal person i might want to write about the film i watched last week literally and um, which i think is really powerful and you know i've seen a lot of although i haven't obviously seen a physical copy before I've seen stop a, reminding <laughs> me <laughs> i've seen a lot of the stuff online and um, because that's where i spend a lot of my time um and i just think it's, it's a really interesting prospect in terms of the project and i think it's doing great things and it's really mm. good to see, you know, and you should be pleased. I've seen stuff online because that's your, your places to make sure that people see stuff online. So yes. bigging, bigging up your work. Yeah. Tell Liv, um, I need a permission. But one thing I do want to get your opinion on yeah, is what is your take on obviously this year, especially we seem to be experiencing a lot more kind of, I don't even want to call it gang violence, but, youth violence shall i say mm. with you know gun crime knife crime like what's your take on it? Where, why do you think that is do you think you know i don't know you go you fire and then, <laughs> and then i'll add in what why do you think that is i'm gonna be completely honest with you i feel like i have purposefully been staying out of those conversations just because i don't know enough mm. um but i do know a lot of people who work with young people or work in engaging young people mm. so i have a friend called tanya campus um and she does a lot of incredible work particularly with black women and young girls and some of the stuff that she was saying on twitter was kind of when you aren't putting money into investing in these facilities or these resources for these young people then like what else what is there for them to do because mm. you're the things the programs that can be involving people and i hate the phrase keeping them off the streets but like just 
changing the narrative for them and kind of opening them up to, okay, here are skills that you have and building and developing those skills. Like this is kind of the result of cuts and cuts and cuts Mm. and draining away resources from the different areas that actually need them in order to benefit our young people, benefit particularly black, like young people as well. Um, But for me personally, I've just been like, I don't, it's, this is what I do. I try to stay out of things and educate myself a bit yeah. more um, and just learn from the people I know who are involved with it or the people I know who have experiences closer to it. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. that's my thoughts. No, it's good. Because I, I, I kind of feel that, um, well, I've seen a lot of headlines where there's a lot of blame mm. on, you know, one thing was blaming cuts. Another thing was like, Another headline was blaming the the music that DJs play. Another headline was blaming something else. And I feel like everyone's trying to put the blame in places of where it, stuff's already happening and not looking at the root of the cause. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the music that people are making or listening to is not the root of the cause, right? Um, and I feel like there's more work that needs to be done to, to, to get to that root and work on it and, and make the shift there. Like, do you feel like, or what do you feel like could be the biggest problem in trying to solve these issues? Because a lot of them are very close to home for us living in mm. London and, you know, seeing these stories break out and it's very hard hitting. But what, what, yeah, what are the, the, the issues that we're going to face in trying to, or the powers that be trying to solve it? <laughs> I think a big issue is just lack of accountability and like, when you have you know like you said like these cuts happening but then the blame is going to like drill music Mm. and things like that like that's a complete and utter lack of accountability on the part of the government and i guess it's also when everyone becomes a bit of like a everyone takes a twitter and i mean i'm here for twitter i love it (laughs) um but everyone starts flinging around kind of this is happening because of this without any kind of knowledge again of that particular industry or the people that they're talking about or those like being so far removed from the young people that we're discussing and then having all of these like I don't know just I think yeah it's kind of being so far removed from it particularly with the government and Mm. the people who actually are in power and you know are holding the strings of these money bags and not actually engaging the people who are working with the young people. So engaging my friend Tanya and being like, what is it that is missing? What resources do you need? When it's kind of making decisions because you think that, you know, this looks good or sounds about right. Um, Yeah, Hmm. that was actually a quick question and I wish I had prepared a better answer. (laughs) So I try and catch people off guard, don't worry. So then, like, so I feel like a lot of it's down to to influence as well, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of having positive figures in a their lives and out in the world who are kind of trying to sh- show them the light rather than you know promote the kind of negative stuff in life. Um, but who or what has been the most influential figure in your life? Because you've kind of someone who seems to have a lot of experiences in various different things Mm. and you know you've got a lot of passions in 
shining lights on um you know groups of people who, who aren't necessarily put to the forefront or aren't you know as we said earlier seen as equals yeah so like what has been your main or who has been your main influence in that honestly i say it every time and i'll probably say it till i die it's gonna be rihanna no okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she she up there um diane abbott like yes. till i die and oh my god i met her at like somerset house and i just forgot all my words oh, really? and like, if she had asked me like oh and like so what's what's your name blah, blah, I, I would have just been there like diane abbott like i just i i honestly just went out of my head um yeah but for me as like the black like the first black woman mp in like uk parliament and having dealt with the amount of like racism and misogyny and together misogynoir um that she has and still getting on with her job um is like it makes you think that if you wanted to go into politics it is possible um though i know a lot of black women and girls who have been put off from politics because of her treatment but i think it's just knowing that there is someone there who looks like me and has my interests at heart um is a lot and i think it's frustrating though because people be like i don't dislike her because she's black or like a woman i dislike her because she's incompetent but then if we really want to talk about incompetence like then we have a lot of politicians who are incompetent Mm. it no one's denying the fact that she will make blunders and has made blunders and that she's imperfect but it's recognizing that her treatment is disproportionate and it's disproportionately negative compared to everyone else. Like, I think it was like before the June election, the six months preceding that, she received like a third of all online abuse. It's like one MP received one third of all online abuse. Mm. Like it's no coincidence. So it's like, stop, like, let's stop this narrative of being like, no, 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 like, I don't see color. Like she's actually just like X, Y, Z. Um, and like, you know, some of the things you just have to like look through her mentions or like anytime the account, her Twitter account tweets and the responses that she gets, like people thinking, saying things like, um, the only way she should get into the House of Commons is as a cleaner or like she's been called the N word. Someone's told her that she should be lynched, mm-hmm. things like that. Like it's not a coincidence that these are all coded, that these are all racially coded, racially aggressive. Um, so yeah, and I guess when she steps down um, as shadow home secretary because of ill health, I was just gutted. Mm. Cause I was like, it just felt like misogynoir had won. Um, so then when she won like a landslide victory, um, I just cried. Yeah. I cry a lot, um, <laughs> but I cried because I was just like, it just, it felt like despite everything that everyone was saying, despite all of the abuse, like, people still showed up and showed out for her. Um, And hopefully she felt that and saw that as well. So that was, yeah, she's she's my gal. Yeah, pretty incredible. Um, What's your biggest fear in life? I think generally my biggest fear is of falling. Um, That's like my standard fear. Um, But, oh my God, I don't know. I guess just like not doing everything, like not leaving behind a legacy or like something, not necessarily a legacy, a legacy sounds so like dickheady, but like 
not leaving behind a framework that can be used by other black women and girls. Mm. Um, I think that would make me feel like I hadn't really done anything with my life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Cool, so I got a couple final questions. Yeah. Um, actually I got, I'm gonna chuck in a third bucket. So the first okay. one okay. is, <laughs> all right, if you could roll back the clock and you could go and visit a young Paula, oh, God. Um, let's say pre-uni, pre-uni um, okay. or you know whatever secondary school whatever pre. wherever you want to place it before uni and you could give yourself three bits of advice to start doing from that moment what would you say okay panic um, all over your face <laughs> <laughs> oh god um i think one smile more so i was i hated my teeth in school um I, got like made fun out of um especially with my lips as well got cool fish lips yeah. um but now everyone wants bigger lips um so i think i was really self-conscious around that so i would definitely smile more because i like my smile um shit two um don't stop reading i stopped reading when i went to uni um because with sociology you're constantly reading text and it just kind of sucks the joy out of just reading for pleasure and I really loved reading when I was younger um and I've started reading again because commutes and stuff so and so like don't have that pause don't do that hmm. because you love books um three. Oh god third one what would I say to young Paula um I think your parents are always proud of you, um, even if they don't show it. Um, and I think I, that was something that really bothered me when I was younger, because again, the thing of not always expressing pride, um, but knowing now, knowing what I know now in terms of my parents haven't always been vocalized, like able to felt okay try again <laughs> haven't always felt able to vocalize pride or that not being part of their language that's not like their love language the love language for them is normally like feeding me yeah, or yeah. you know making sure that i was able to go to uni and things like that um so yeah that they do have always loved me and are proud of me yeah, yeah a bit nice. moist but uh, <laughs> nice, there good. we go and one thing to tell yourself to stop doing from that moment Um, stop, hmm, stop pandering to people, not stop like changing yourself to try and avoid the stereotypes that you get as a black woman. So I always found myself trying to be quieter or like just take up less space because it feels like whenever I'm passionate about something, you're suddenly like, oh God, you're a bit aggressive or like you're being a bit sassy. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was always making myself a bit smaller so that I wasn't a threat or like just like didn't appear threatening in any kind of way. And I mean, now it's like, I've managed to come up with these different projects or I'm doing this podcast because I am now, you know, in I've kind of come into my own yeah. and I am taking up space and um yeah so don't be afraid to take up space is what I tell young P nice I like that one that's a good one I really like that um all right so dreamer's disease yes to me my version of what the dreamer's disease means is it is our 
It's the disease of dreaming that stops us living out the lives that we want to live because okay. we don't put things into action mm. quick enough or soon yeah. enough. And we just sit back and dream about them and then go, oh, I wish I could do that. Wish, yeah. wish, wish. Um, what would your the definition of the dreamer's disease be? Or what would you say is the dreamer's disease? I would say the dreamer's disease is... I think comparing yourself to other people that you see, especially with social media, that you're seeing on a regular basis who seem to be coming into their own in like, especially in creative fields as well. Um, And then being like, I'm not there. And why aren't I there? Mm. And forgetting that social media is curated. Like I curate it for like a living. Um, And people have, will have highs when you have lows and then you'll have, highs when they have lows so I think it's constantly trying to uh, yeah just comparing yourself and also feeling like there's only space for a certain amount of people to take up space which I think is quite frustrating it's like in if you're like a black creative um and you're in um just in London feeling like certain magazines will only want to speak to certain creatives or like you feel like you have to compete when there is space for everyone's art and there is space for everyone's voice to be heard so yeah I feel like not comparing yourself I'm coming up with all the cliches no it's today. good no but do you know what I always because people say this right oh that's such a cliche but it's a cliche for a reason mm. reason because it's often very true like even like the the cliches you're taught as like kids and stuff I can't think of any to, to, to my mind right now, but they're all so true. And we've always just kind of batted them away by saying, yeah. oh, it's such a cliche. Yeah, but, yeah. but actually, when you listen to the message behind it and what you're actually trying to say, there's a really powerful thing there. And we should actually listen to those cliches. Mm. So I, I use more cliches now than I okay, ever right. did. Shit, um, I'll take that on board. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so to wrap us up, mm-hmm. what is your ultimate happiness goal my ultimate happiness goal would be again so moist um to pay off my mortgage for my mum that would make me really happy um because she has sacrificed so much for me and my brothers she has done so much and she is like my rock and one of my best friends so I think to be able to give back to her and help her like love herself a bit more in terms of you know taking on like more self-care-y kind of stuff or just taking a break that if I could relieve some of that stress from like off of her then that would be like I feel like that would feel like I've done something with worth nice that's beautiful well honestly I, i'm not normally this moist but no it's, it's good it's the vibes it's the vibe we bring right it's the sofas <laughs> it's the dreaming chilling <laughs> water it's a lot <laughs> um but yeah look i really appreciate the time no, um, for and for sharing me. a bit of your story like Yay. seriously inspiring stuff um i'll be looking forward to coming down to black girl first yes mate come true i'll be there um check it out and yeah, good, good luck with everything. You know, yeah, so, everything you do, like I said, is is seriously, it's powerful and you're kind of creating things that are experiences and, you know, areas of acceptance for people, mm. which is seriously impressive because um, you're going out of your way to kind of help other people, which is, I guess, what 
powerful or is it leading activists do oh you like that one gas me bring it back um but yeah i think we're gonna have to end with the wakanda wakanda forever forever before we wrap up can you let people know where they can find you online and keep up to date with your work and the i'm tired project and black girl fist um so me personally i'm paula akpan at paula akpan everywhere on twitter instagram probably on facebook but i don't know why you'd want to add me on facebook that'd be weird um and at the i'm tired project and at black girl fest and at gaudam zine as well perfect thank you so there we have it guys that was paula's story i really hope you liked this one i hope there's a lot you could take from it as i said at the beginning you know very inspirational lady she speaks so passionately about her work and i think it really comes across in everything that she does and i love the way that she spoke about you know trying to make a difference and and all these kind of things here and i think it's so important for us to you know go through our lives and not only serve ourselves but to some degree serve other people because giving back to others and really helping other people and guiding other people and giving advice and you know teaching lessons is, and educating others is a real way for us to to learn and grow and, and develop ourselves so it's amazing to hear that from someone like Paula who's doing such amazing work so as ever you can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at I am Alex Manzi hit me up message me if you're listening let me know what you think it's great to connect with you guys I love to have those conversations let hear your thoughts know what you think you know, any guests that you want to suggest and the rest of it, it's, it's just good to have that connection with you guys. So as ever, thanks for listening and make sure you go out there and chase your dreams. This podcast is produced by Unedited.